Hey there, friends. Before we get to a brand new episode of the official Do Good Better podcast, we want to thank you, the listener, for subscribing and sharing with all of your nonprofit friends. Most importantly, we need to be thanking the sponsors to this very show. Hey, if you're in the market for a CRM system that makes your life easier, there is no better item in your fundraising toolbox than DonorDoc. DonorDoc is not only the premier sponsor to the show, it is the premier and intuitive CRM system that not only has everything you want, but has zero things you don't. No one needs complicated, especially when you wear 10,000 different hats at your nonprofit. So get DonorDoc and use Do Good Better at checkout and get a month free to try it out. Thanks, DonorDoc, for being an awesome sponsor. Hey, speaking of life being easier, fundraising is not. And as a listener to this podcast, I hope you found some insight and tips and tricks on how to make it a little less challenging. But if you're looking for a more content, more done-for-you templates, weekly support, and a community of other do-gooders like yourself to either commiserate, challenge, co-create, or celebrate with, join Do Good University. Hey, it's our brand new membership site. We have hours and hours of on-demand trainings, exclusive guest expert webinars, and access to the entire Do Good Better crew to answer all of your pressing questions. All of that is for an affordable monthly fee. So visit dogooduniversity.com or click the link in the show notes for details. Hey, get ready for another episode of the official Do Good Better podcast. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk with people who are going to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. Uh, You know the moment where you run into somebody and you eventually uh, find uh, a random uh, brain-powered soulmate? And then uh, you think about this person a lot in like the best possible way. And then you finally uh, get them to be on your podcast or you get to talk to them all the time and then your whole life is better. Um, No? Okay. Well, then you get to live vicariously through me today because um, that's our guest today. And we're going to talk about things that I think you as a nonprofit leader are going to want to hear. We're going to talk about how you make your experiences for your donors extra awesome, uh, extra extraordinary. And dare I say extra magical? Yeah, yeah, I did. I teased it out mm. just well enough, I believe. Uh, welcome, my friend, uh, Tim Sorry, uh, I always get the name. This is my favorite part about your name. It's uh, Sorry Antonio. Uh, sorry Antonio. Wow, that that is I. So I've I'm 40 years old, Patrick, yeah. and I've heard a lot of different interpretations of my last name, but the following items that you just spit out are some of the most unique, dare I say, ma- magical interpretations, perhaps. Magical interpretations. Of- uh, San Antonio, like San the Antonio. city. San Antonio, and then you throw a few R's. San Antonio with a few R's rolled into it. I like my name better, and I'm just going to say that. Maybe Kirby, look, I got, my kid has a huge Kirby doll right in her bed. It's one of those Moshi dolls that are beautiful. Yeah. So we love Kirby. She says, Kirby. Kirby. I so. would, I'm going to go with that. That's me, Patrick Kirby. Kobe, and, uh, Patrick Kobe. Add a whole bunch more uh, sold. Anyway, anyway, director of uh, corporate brand marketing at Neon One. Uh, Tim, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm I'm excited. Uh, I, I the feelings mutual. Uh, I, you know, we both talk to a lot of people in the sector, but there's there's a few folks that you could kind of instantaneously know. Okay, this is going to be special because it's going to help a lot of people. I, that is that is the unique, uh, I, like immediate bond out of the gate that I got vibe wise uh, when you and I first kind of connect, connected a number. And again, I've seen you in places where I'm speaking and you're speaking and we're sort of in the same yeah. sort of circles or whatever. And it's so nice to actually finally have long conversations with you about this because it's just it's just awesome. All right. Before we get into uh, this topic, we're going to make your donor experiences and sort of set you up as a fundraiser, as a nonprofit leader, we're going to set you up to think differently about how to approach donor relationships in a really unique way. And that's uh, that's our promise in this uh, podcast is going to be fantastic. I- I'm really excited for this. But you know, if nobody knows who on earth you are or Neon One is, I need you to give us 
the you know five thousand foot view on all the stuff. Too long didn't read on Tim Sarantonio. Yeah. I uh, I'm from upstate New York. Uh, in terms of where I grew up, I was born in New York City. I uh, thought I was going to be a lawyer until I went to uh, school in very upstate New York in Plattsburgh, uh, which is about sixty minutes away from Montreal. So you know, I have had a lot of poutine, as some people say. It's actually poutine in terms oh. of the proper pr- French Canadian pronunciation. And so uh, lots and lots of stuff that I thought I was going to be in terms of trust and estates lawyer. I was like, I want to be a trust and estates lawyer. My mom's in trust and estates. And uh, then I got to college and I said, wow, that's going to be really crappy. I don't want to do that. So uh, then I said, I'm going to teach. I want to help. I have a wide understanding and and in in uh, interest in in historical things in particular. So I started getting a uh, focus in history and specifically labor history, but not unions, not necessarily Eugene V. Debs and stuff like that. Very interesting, uh, uh, you know, individuals there. But we always kind of have this in American society, especially that the the myth of the great individual. And the founding fathers are what made America. No, there's a lot of people that you don't know their names and that and a lot of stuff that people did and people died and people struggled through in order to make this country where it is and where it should be going. And so looking at the history of the collective in many ways of like that larger society and community has always driven me. I was even talking with my wife about this where I'm like, you know, we, we approach things so much with an individualist mindset where it's like, you know, I just wish that they had the willpower to get over their addiction or something like that, or, or how come they can't get, you know, off the street. And the real way to approach this is from a collectivist standpoint of, no, this is a societal problem. And so that always drove me for, for, you know, what I wanted to look at specific for the labor movement. So wildcat strikes folk. Or, or the term redneck actually comes from uh, uh, Blair Mountain was a big battle in the 1900s. They actually was one of the only times that they used planes to drop bombs on American citizens was this big labor movement. And they would identify themselves with red handkerchiefs. It was, hmm. it was a bunch of miners. And so redneck, that's where it came from. Labor history, folks. Well, Guess what? That doesn't pay the bills. I uh, I basically went to school a lot to do all that stuff. And now what helps is I can go on podcasts and tell a story about it. But I wasn't going to be a professor. I thought I was going to be a professor. And then, the, the you know, the things were not in the cards. I lived in Ireland. I went back to New York City, got a degree from an Ivy League school, Columbia University, and moved to Chicago and thought, I'm going to I'm going to go to school in the Midwest and I'm going to, you know, go to a cornfield and and be like, uh, uh, you know, an indie movie and and just kind of be around campus when the leaves are falling and have my tweed jacket and stuff like that. Nope. 2008, my dad basically is like, you got to get a job, bro. Like we can't we can't pay for your your student loans anymore. So you got to <laughs> do it on your own. So I, I did want to still help people. And so I, I got into the nonprofit sector as a grant writer for a day labor center operating out of Chicago's South Side. And so because it was 2008, wasn't a grant writer for that much long. Uh, I, I started pivoting to individual giving and then kind of leveled up in my experience as a fundraisers, you know, working for a art studio with uh, adults with developmental disabilities, worked at a Catholic school that had Blackboard's 11th client, right? I was like using Razor's Edge, you know, one of the OG systems, 25,000 donor records for a file, like, like querying like crazy and learning everything. And, and then I realized there has to be a better way out there. And, and, and so I raised a lot of money on an individual side, but I want to make a bigger scale, bigger impact. So I found a company that uh, was in Chicago. It was a cloud-based CRM uh, called Neon. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of history in the 11 years since I've been with them, but ultimately uh, it's, it's the greatest job that I've ever had uh, to be what I'm doing now, which is basically our head storyteller. So thank you for letting me meander that path 
but that's a little too long. Didn't read. No, listen, this is why this is why everyone can everyone who listens to this podcast understands that that's exactly why you're a guest. Because that's that meandering has all the vibes of the official Do Good Better podcast. The other thing, too, is that what I love most about Neon One is that it's not um, okay, it's a CRM. So yeah, yeah, it's it's CRM. What it does and what it provides, not only on your website, is this wonderful archive of information that is so up to date. Because what you do, interesting, more interesting, I think, than a lot of programs within the nonprofit realm, because there's a million of them, right? Is that you are constantly up to date with boots on the ground information and constantly updating all the stuff, right? So you don't put out a once a year report that's already a year old. The consistent amount of information that you're pouring into people who want to have that data is not only what you're seeing from the kind of backend stuff, but you're having you know, uh, consultants and you're having uh, fundraisers and you're having organizational leaders report back to you on what they're seeing. And then you're now digesting that in, at the, in real time. So there's always real-time information. You're always yes. getting up to date, so yes. regional, if not national, if not yes. or, you know, like global stuff. That's what's fascinating about it. And I'm so glad that we're going to talk about this because using all of that knowledge on how to tell a better story and get your donors engaged it's exactly what I think we want to do to kick off 2023 and beyond with a lot of, you know, how do you make a difference? How do you stand out? And it, to every competitor, you know, I'm doing air quotes because we got, you know, this, you know, we have a, an abundance mindset, but how do you, you're, you're competing against a lot of other storytellers, even if they're not nonprofits, businesses and everything else. You're competing uh, with Amazon. You're competing. You're competing with the PTA email that just you know flowed yep. in and and asked for an emergency fundraiser. You're yeah. you're you're competing with uh you know people's medical appointments. You're competing with everything. And and to be an interrupter is something that we have to embrace as a positive, right? Because what you're doing when you properly interrupt, because we get ten thousand ads a day thrown at us. And so an interrupter is somebody who is connecting the dots between a person's passion and a way for that to have the an outlet for that. That's it. And so a lot of times fundraisers, so the reason I even kind of did a little bit of the meandering element of my story is because every, every most fundraisers for the audience of this podcast and 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 basically in what I I think as the majority of the industry. Everybody has their story of how they got on the island of misfit toys of fundraising. Yep. Yep. It's not you didn't go to college. And if you did it what it was in terms of uh for school, there's a few nonprofit professional programs, but those are not the norm. And even a lot of times the audience there is people who got into the nonprofit sector and then realized, oh, I maybe want a little bit more focus structure and certificate you know, focus around this. So I'm going to go get my CNP, uh, for instance. And so that that's for folks who have been in the industry for a bit. So we call them we call them accidental fundraisers. Here. Accidental fundraisers. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, because I mean, nobody goes to school for. I mean, nobody goes to school for it. You do your, your master's degree to go. It'll be a leadership. And that. Yep, that's great. It's wonderful. Higher ed, higher yeah, ed. Yep. There's a pipeline of sure talent yep. for higher ed, but that's 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 that's, that's and, not and, the norm. And so I think when a lot of fundraisers, when they find themselves in the position of like, oh crap, now I got to raise some money, or hey, we expanded and we need to fund this, or hey, we I have been chosen or selected, or I've been, you know, um, hired to raise money. I don't even know where to start in conversation. I think maybe we start there, which is you've got an overwhelmed, overworked, yep. over uh, exhausted nonprofit fundraising leader who is charged with grabbing the attention of as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. How, where do you even start to begin to manage the 10,000 different things that you have to do every single day? Where, what's a starting point or a good place that we can manage a point A from? So this is a question that gets asked a lot. And the typical response that I think we see, especially from tech vendors is, and that's the audience, you know, that's, that's who I am. Right. So let's be real about that. But, but like, 
I think a lot of times what we see is that vendors push a narrative that the technology is where you start. And that's actually the last thing you should be focusing on. So a lot of the content, and we do put out a lot of free content, a lot of free analysis on gated items too. So, so you can get those types of insights, but other people like Bloomerang and Donor Perfect do a great job at that stuff too, right? So there's just so much information, but, but not enough. And, And this is a quote that I heard uh, and it's paraphrasing uh, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, which is that there's so much information, but not enough wonder mm. in our world. And so that really kind of struck me because where my philosophy has been evolving here is is I'm, I love data and I love talking about data and I love using data to guide. But I didn't I don't have a background as a data scientist, as we heard it was always around what is that larger understanding of the world and really the larger understanding of my world that I translate into brand because my job is to say who we are and why we matter. Yep. And what we've come to the conclusion philosophically is that where a nonprofit can start is by thinking themselves as designers. Mm. It's not fundraising. It's not marketing. It's not financial reconciliation. You're a designer of a generosity experience. And there's three rules philosophically to this. So the rules are actually where you start because it, it actually helps give a framework for any strategic or tactical thing. I can get into everybody's pumping out your year-end templates and guides and da 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 and and if it's not this podcast Patrick, I know we'll get into it another time in terms of like where tech goes wrong and what they can do right, but ultimately rule number 1 is you put a focus on people not money. Yeah. Yes. That's a very powerful rule because if you extend that out to life, it starts to change things. And I'll give you a very practical example because this is what my team always pushes me to, to do is, that's great, Mr. Philosopher, failed academic, but I need to pay the bills. What do I actually do with that? So what I'll do is is we can unpack it, um, but but I'll try to give a practical example of each rule in practice. So focus on people, not money. Okay. Uh, are you starting your queries and segmentation with Liebunt reports? Or are you focusing on people that you've obtained information on their affinity for your programming first? And then layering in the money. Mm-hmm. Then layer in the money. Okay. Well, so it's 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 a priority issue too. So even more practical than that, which is wonderful. And by the way, I mean that people over a purse I, or you know whatever the people not money bit. That is a that's a great bit. If you need to prioritize, if you've got a list of a thousand people or a hundred people. Where do you yep. start? Start with the people who love you the most, who have proven themselves, whether they answer the phone or they answer your surveys or they give regularly. It doesn't even matter how much. They're the ones you don't have to sell. They're the ones that believe in you the most. It's the in. phone call. It builds your momentum. It's absolutely perfect. That's a wonderful tactic right there. Love it. Framework number one. Love well, it. And, and, and one of the things that I've heard as I shifted into to marketing, because I was in fundraising, then sure. I joined our operation as sales. And we serve you know thousands of nonprofits now. So, so whenever we look at the data, I always try to... Folks, here's a practical thing. If you're looking at a CRM or, or, or you know, nonprofit platform uh, is what we do, because we do more than CRM. We have a website and, right. and events and peer-to-peer and, and whatnot. But when you look at any of that type of stuff, if you see a case study, know that the case study is designed to show one individualized example on metrics that look good for the person handing it to you, trying to get you to sign right? Like case studies are great. It's the narrative that I want to tell as a company. So they can be informative, but try to see it from your point of view. Now, how do you start to prioritize that? Well, number two, focus on the experience of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I, uh, I, I love the work that Mallory Erickson, for instance, has been doing around unpacking friction for both fundraisers as well as donors. And there's a lot of friction points. And this is where understanding kind of that flywheel of data 
that you should ideally have on somebody is critical because the more that you understand on the journey that they're taking with you, the better you can identify pain points in that journey. Concrete example, we are hearing and seeing a lot of rise of digital only platforms that are focusing on, we're going to unlock generosity by making it so easy for people to give online. I, I've seen even some things that are trying to take the, the Klarna and Affirm model of pay now, you know, buy now, pay later, and, and apply that to, to nonprofit stuff. Beware, beware, because the reality is that it's not necessarily the crappy online experience. There's a lot of things leading up to it because we're trying to add too many roads at ro blockers into the experience itself. So practically, when you focus on the connection points, do you know, do you have their opt-in for email? Are you trying to text them without opt-in, for instance? Can they go to your website and not click 12 times to get to the donation page itself? If your email says, donate now, does it allow them to donate now? Or are they going to the donate page that then lists the 12 different options for you to do, including cards for kids, basically, right? Like, mm -hmm. think about the experience. Actually well, the test it yourself. Yeah. Well, the experience then is way more than it being just a transaction, which makes them an actual long-term donor. You know, yes. it, you know, if you're thinking about it from like, give me 20 bucks, we can move on with our day. It's easy and fun. You don't have to think about it. You're not going to think about it. If you're telling them you, they don't have to think about it, you're not thinking about it, which means you're not, you know, in this laser focused, I'm going to give them the follow-up to the impact story to this, I'm, you're not thinking about it in a way that is how do they get big picture and impact so that they know that their 20 bucks did this, this, and this, and you're, you're grateful for it and whatever. That's the experience part. That's what it is. Generosity experience design is holistic in looking at yes. data points and story engagement points and interruption points, if you will, in a person's psychology of thinking about your organization. You're trying to move them toward activating as an individual looking in the mirror and going, I am this cause. I'm, I'm going to put a sticker on my car because I love this nonprofit so much. And the reality is, is that when you're designing the generosity experience, the issue with so much tech in our space is that they're only looking at that middle part when right. somebody hits the button. Yep. They don't look at the marketing to get them there. So nobody's really providing like the whole package for websites all the way to the financial reconciliation piece. That's right. what the problem that we're trying to solve with the platform is the website down to the financial reconciliation. Because in order to you for you to report back on impact, you need to know where the money's coming from and right. where it's going. Right. And you need to plot out, okay, I've I've talked to them and asked them, they gave me money. Now what am I going to do to reach out just to say hi? And I'm not going to just say thank you in November. I'm not just yep. going to say that. Yep. We, uh, so you have to, this experience is more than what everybody else does. And you have to individualize it. So make sure that they know that they're not special and it's not, that's not it, but that they know what they did mattered. Yes. And that you remembered it. Professor Jen Shang from the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy has been on the forefront of research into philanthropic psychology. And so I went and got a certificate from the U U Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy in philanthropic psychology. I passed. Other people did better than me, it should be noted, but I still passed. And what they teach is that donors are activated by Self-determination theory outlines like I'm going to be activated because I feel competent that I did something, mm -hmm. that I made the choice on my own to do it. I wasn't guilted into it. So that gets into ethical storytelling, for instance, and that I feel part of a larger movement that gets back into the collectivist idea of it's society coming together, it's community coming together to solve a problem. It is not a Mackenzie Scott sprinkling dust. And even she's saying that too, when she put out her new website, she's like, this has to be a community driven approach. This is trust-based philanthropy, for instance, which has yeah. its own, you know, That's issues, a, yeah. but, but it's still like, it's a different mode. We are in a very, a very uh, disruptive time 
that has been a long time coming. Like this is not a surprise if you've stepped back and look, look, looked at what has been happening with technology and society over the past 15, 20 years. And that's where technology does come into play here is it can, for small shops in particular, accelerate the implementation of that experience. Yep. Yep. I've, and and it, and it will remind you yes. of the amount of opportunities that you never thought that you had as a small shop, right? And so I think what technology hones in your daydreaming ability of like, God, you'd be really good if I can get a hold of another 100 people. Yes. Yes. And then it does. And then now, instead of thinking, oh boy, I wish I had contact with another 100 people, it's now, how do I make those 100 people know that what they did mattered? There, now you get to think about that. And that becomes long-term relationship building. And that becomes a lot more personal than just this access. Now you've got access. Now what are you going to do with it? I I always use the example. I have uh, two two adopted cats that I got it when I was living in Chicago, and you know, love them so much. I suffered through an eight hour car ride with them, basically screaming at me the entire sure. time to New York. That's but love. whenever I got appeals from the shelter, they never referenced mm-hmm. even that I adopted. So imagine the power of simply having one field in your CRM and it says adopted question mark yes or no imagine then extending that and collecting the name or names of the animals in a open text field and then inserting that into an end of the year appeal that is very 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 doable and should basically be table stakes for the nonprofit to be approaching this and that is people-centric design using technology. You can do that to make it uniquely magical for every single person who goes through that generosity experience because it's kind of like saying, we are welcoming to you. And I think we just get so bummed out and freaked out by technology that, that instead of having joy over hitting that button, we have trepidation because we see it as begging at scale. Yeah. And instead of I'm about to unlock something magical for every single person, that's actually where I have the most fun in fundraising is um, when the personalization I know is going to get kicked in. Right. Like, like, Patrick, it was fun to send you a neon one swag box. Right. Like and we had designed it around our conference and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just the joy of like it's kind of the same thing when you give presents like there's psychology psycholo- psychological research that shows that people are activated more when you are giving than receiving this is where we have so much advantage over amazon mm-hmm. because the reason that somebody gets interrupted and gets the dopamine fired off when doing Amazon is when the package comes when they do it online for a donation, the dopamine's hitting when they're actually donating. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're giving them that joy. You're creating that uniquely magical experience for them. You're using technology to give an opportunity to as many people as possible to do just that. And and the psychology that you can you that you unlock by understanding that is going to have you embrace this rather than r- like oh god I guess I oh have to gotta that, go right? through the thing and da 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 now here's the onus folks it's my job and my company's job to make that easy for you yeah that's that's the, that's the problem is that everything our stuff included is too hard. Yeah. And 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 then what the average nonprofit uses three to five different databases or data sources just for fundraising alone. I'm not even talking the project management side for the programs or volunteers or stuff like that. It's just like, okay, I got my constant contact here and do my unsubscribes <laughs> kick off when yeah. somebody unsubscribes here. Does that go into my CRM? I, I don't know how, who programmed that. And then my payment processing is done through Stripe. Mm-hmm. And I guess I got to go to that to do the accounting. Like there's too much stuff. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's where it needs to get better. That's where I don't even like like to focus on the CRM anymore because all that is is just kind of like an engine. Yeah. There, you have to view this as a whole platform. Yeah, that should be you know built for nonprofits because if you try to adapt something for the for-profit world, you're going to miss the fact that the psychology is different because yeah. they're gearing it to focus on the dopamine of getting the thing delivered to the door. That's what for-profit databases are structured for. We need tech for us. Yeah. We need our own tech. Yeah. Well, it all, and also what I think that does is that it maybe commit that eventually then excites people within the nonprofit realm that they don't have to necessarily like, okay, well, if I can figure out that this whole thing is going to figure out the tech things, then I can concentrate on the things that I really, really love, which is, you know, building these wonderful relationships you had in your framework. And I want to make sure we got all three of those. Those are the three. Those are the three. three. Okay. People Um, want money, the connection of the experience and tech can accelerate, but notice it comes last. Notice it comes last. I know tech. So tech accelerates that. And so what you mentioned earlier, and we talked about this a little bit online, offline before we, uh, we hopped on was you've, and you've used the word, several times in uh, our conversation is the idea of magic and a magical generosity experience. Yeah. Now I've been doing this a very long time. I have, this is hundreds of episodes in this podcast and I have yet to hear the following words uttered in the order in which they have been uttered, which is a magical generosity experience. I think we need to talk about this because what I think that does is reframes it even more uh, amazing and, and allows us as the creative, passionate, enthusiastic, yes. freaking do-gooders that we are to to almost lean in and go, oh, I'm interested in all of this because it's such a unique way of proposing a relationship with those who want to help you make impact. How do we come up with this and what what are we talking about here? And then yeah. let's dive in and nerd out because so, I'm in. Well, 100%. this is uh, we're we're gonna break the fourth wall, folks, because what this is also doing is <laughs> me trying to do my job in some ways because corporate brand, which there's not a lot of people de- or dedicated just to brand at their company in, in the nonprofit sector. If you look as a listener at marketing to to get you to buy crap, let's just be real. Like, like there's stuff being sold. There's money involved here. This is an altruism. This is an industry that has billions of dollars being pumped into it right now because they want your attention. Right. And the reason that I want to talk about this is that the vast majority of that technology is being modeled for profitability on the 3% of nonprofits that make more than $5 million a year, but it is being cloaked as all of you. Mm -hmm. And so the 97% of the sector that makes less than $5 million are kind of just being expected to go with it. And there are good examples of technology out there that is designed for smaller organizations, you know, Bloomerang and Keela and Donor Perfect are a few good examples and fellow participants in the fundraising effectiveness project, which allows us to understand what works for the average nonprofit on things like retention rates, on things like acquisition rates. So when we think about it, though, and what I started to notice is we're leaving out all the reasons why somebody even got to the donation page of the fir- in the first place, or we skip to, and it's major donor time, like trying to level you up to a thousand dollars. But but uh, Katrina Van Huss of Turnkey, uh, actually, uh, I was talking with her about this brilliant, brilliant mind, especially around what activates communities, and and she has a new book coming out even in 2023 that's on social fundraising and the way that you know peer to peers situations activate and communities activate and so she says whenever we look at major donors in something like a database even the larger organizations or a mid-sized organization if they have different staff focused on the events versus individual cultivation versus major donors they appear in the CRM like magic and it's like, how did they get there? Well, they actually came in through this friend, through this like peer-to-peer race, but you would never know. You would never attribute it to that. And that's because we focus so much on the transactional silo. Mm-hmm. So I, when I started to step back, 
I was like, well, this is like really amazing and this is really interesting. And and so I would use different words like amazing or interesting or, or, or personalization and, and lots of other buzzwords. But what I finally came to is I love the term generosity experience. I think it really sums up that generosity is more than just transactions. It is also centered in something that is bigger than philanthropy. And that is ultimately time, talent, treasure, and trust. And whenever brand people think about this, and you have to think about this for your own organization, is that are you designing for you or are you designing for your audience? And if you're designing for you, that's where things go off the rails. And that's where I think a lot of the problem with nonprofit technology marketing comes into play is that they're not only designing for the wrong audience, they're designing for what they think the problem for that audience is. And for me, just like you, Patrick, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of nonprofit professionals. My mother-in-law uses our tech and talk about having some of the best potential qualitative insight because she's not going to give a crap on like, she's just going to be like, this doesn't work. She's my mother-in-law. She's going to tell me like (laughs) brass tacks what the situation is, or I don't like this. So whenever, you know, you are designing something for your audience, think, are you designing for you or are you designing for them? And for me, generosity experience design, this it's like, I want it to be a gift to help people, to give them that guidance and that light to figure out, like, I don't care if you use my CRM or not, like focus on people, not money. Mm -hmm. It's going to do us all good. And if you embrace that, you're actually a designer, not just a fundraiser or a marketer or a finance person, that this is designing something that's holistic, that's where it's going to get powerful. So the fourth wall, folks, is I've been trying to figure out the best framing and wording and all this type of stuff. And this takes a lot of work because you have to get people bought in. Because if you design something in your head and you don't get that buy-in, people aren't going to care about it. They're going to think, oh, that's a very nice thing that you did. What does that do with me? So, um, so you had to roadshow it a bit. So Patrick, thank you for letting me roadshow the idea, but I, I just love, I just fell in love with, with the terminology, magical generosity experiences. Like, I just think it activates something that we need. The, I mean, the minute you said it, I was like, wow, I, now I'm, now I'm freaking hooked and I'm, I'm going to use, I will attribute it to you. I just will use it a lot. Well, in the sense, but that, it's it's just like giving Tuesday. It should be owned by anyone. Yeah, that it is. Well, I don't need to copyright yeah. that. Like, no. come on. But here's the other thing too. I try. I think you know when when you as a nonprofit leader and you as a, a fundraiser get an opportunity to talk with a donor, and I'm not just saying get them on the phone and say thank you. You really get to talk to them about what your organization does, and you're excited about it. There's a moment in which you get to ask a question, and however you want to frame it is fine, but you get to talk to them about something along the lines of this, which is you can wave a magic wand right now for our organization, or if money wasn't an issue and we could solve what, what's the one thing that you would do and maybe it's not involved in our organization at all. But what's the one thing that you would solve if you could just wave your magic, magic wand? wand? You get to ask your donors that question. And the intriguing part is they might give you an answer like, you know what I really love is I know you're uh, you're an organization that helps you know uh, families with children on uh, the autism spectrum. I, I understand that. But my real passion is this. And I really wish that this would just be solved. The insight you gain from personalizing that conversation that may not have anything to do with a direct gift to your organization makes you invaluable to have conversations with them going forward because they trust you enough to talk about their dreams and their hopes and their magic sort of thing. And that sounds a lot of freaking woo-woo. I understand that. But what that does is it intimatizes, is that even a word? It's going to be now. It makes it a lot more intimate than the thanks for your gift and here's what your impact does. Yeah. Because you got to think about, you got to ask them to think and then they tell you like a deep, dark thing that they wanted to shine a light on that you've actually asked them and they're comfortable enough to say it even though it might not involve you. And that is going to set you apart from every single organization on possible. And that itself is almost magical. 
and that's that's where it gets back to that beautiful Fred Rogers quote about information versus wonder. And what we want to have is people to be able to let them dream bigger and to say things are possible here and and to be able to even envision the world. I actually am reading this fascinating book. Um, it's written by a feminist collective out of New York City, I believe. And they're envisioning like what a a potential utopia could look like in the future. Mm. But it was written like World War Z, where it's like it already happened. And these are people reflecting on how they got there. And there's this one scene in the book where they're talking about how they were rethinking ways that communities can talk with each other. Because a lot of times we think like, well, democracy is voting. Democracy is so much more than that. And, and, and especially small D democracy is, is a lot of discussions. It's a lot of difficult conversations and it's a lot of making space and listening. And we need to do that more as a sector. And there's a scene in the book where this woman was talking about how her aunt was feeling isolated because of things like the pandemic. Cause they, in the kind of the future state, there's even worse pandemics to come that, take a crisis zone and say something actually really has to break here. And so what happens is that they allow, they, they were calling people to do meetings in these big tents. In the beginning, they would just kind of throw up tarps, but then they started to actually crochet and knit and, and sew together quilts and stuff like that. And this is where the, the aunt who was isolated felt that she was part of it. And they, they described the scene when they put up the quilts and she can see her stitching in the quilt. And she's like, wow, this isn't something that I just did something for. This is something that I'm part of. Yeah. And it's such a powerful visual. Um, and I think that, that we can start to embrace that wonder and that design to get there. And it's just so hard because we look at our profit loss statements and we look at the rising rents and we look at the inflation hitting us and and it's more costly to buy food and to solve these problems that might activate a donor. And and what we need to start doing is to say, we can do it, but we need your help to do that. And we need a big tent to do that too. It's not just affluent donors. Ultimately, Patrick... What activates donors is that they want to solve a cause, and the cause is a lar- almost always a larger societal problem, and that they're choosing one piece to address in that way. So yes, even something as simple as asking on your online donation form, why are you giving today? Yeah. Leave it open. Don't require it. See what happens. It'll start to inform what that magical experience could look like. I'm often asked what, what books am I, what books are you reading about marketing and nonprofit and fundraising work? And I go, oh, uh, I went back to Tolkien. I read a lot of that. It's all high fantasy. And now, and the reason I do that is because it's something very similar to what you're talking about too, which is the world building and something that's completely made up triggers something with me to say, okay, well, if this is what you can write in a book and create out of thin air, you know, worlds and magic and dragons and yep. this kind of thing. Yep, yep, Imagine yep. the things that you can ask some of your donors and conversations to create with you as well. It's world building. We need more Tom Bombadils in the, in the sector, basically. All of the time. That's a, I, first of all, it's a great inside joke for our friends who are listening that go, I get it. That's, that's a good way to do this. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Balrog. Uh, it's yep. not just a character from street fighter. Yeah. Um, Tim, um, this, well, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it, they'll get it. They'll, they'll, they'll get, get it. it. They'll Google it. They'll It'll be it. great. They'll, they'll, they'll be get homework. It. Yeah. Homer for everybody else. Uh, Tim, I can't thank you enough for, uh, the conversation. This is the type of brain, power that I think we need to continue to do in the sector over and over again and open up the possibilities of like, yeah, you got some hot tips in there. You got a couple of things that you want, people and not money. You need to, you know, have these experiences uh, with your your donors. Yep. Tech is going to be advanced. These are frameworks that you get to do. But to talk about it in the way that we got to chat about it, yeah, I think is 
not only good and healthy to kind of clear the, the 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 brain of like I have to get this done in the books and the thing. I, it, I get it. You'll always have budgets or whatever. Allow yourself to be and think about some of these big you know points that we talked about today, and allow yourself to be creative and allow yourself to be personalized. Don't let the machine of fundraising or nonprofit work get in the way of why you did this in the first place and what you're trying to accomplish and bring people to the table with and use the technology for God's sakes to help you enhance that, but never forget the roots of why you're trying to do the things you're doing and why you started there. It, It will bleed into with this, the types of KPIs that you prioritize. So for instance, a people centric approach as opposed to a money centric Mm -hmm. approach means that you're focusing on retention. And we know that we have to talk about retention. We hear a lot of people talk about retention, for instance, but when you start to then go, okay, but how do I get to that? What do I need to look at? And and then measuring your experiments in meaningful ways. Even a small shop can do something like, I'm going to take a small subset of these letters or these emails, and I'm going to try something different, and I'm going to compare the two. Just make it manageable in your processes, but embrace that creativity in design and experience should be celebrated and we need leadership to buy into the ability to fail within that 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 not everything is up 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 and to the right that's just not how life works and and the reality is is that again going back to that psychology even daniel kahneman um, uh, a sociologist that talked about the idea of the peak end rule the peak end rule when you're designing these interruptions, these experiences for people, understand that humans don't remember the average of an experience. They're either going to remember the high or low and how it ended. Mm-hmm. If I stand in line at Disney for an hour and a half and complain and it's hot, but then my kid experiences pure joy on that ride. And then they get the hat and the picture. That's what I'm going to remember weeks, months, years from now. Not the sitting in the line. Tim, this has been the fantastic one. I um I literally the one of my favorite conversations. Uh, this is a wonderful. I think I'm going to go back and listen to this one like a lot. Like there's so many little things I'm like oh, I got to remember it. what we chatted about. I don't listen to all of them. I'll be honest with you. There's some that are just. Oh, I hate listening to myself. Like, like people send me things to review, and I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. Like, yeah, I, I listen. I just... I'm going to, except for the fact that there's some little nuggets in here that I feel like I need to draw out of, and I'm probably yeah. going to write about it because it's just going to be great. Uh, there are a lot of people who probably want to a uh, find you. Uh, first of all, give a follow on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll we're going to link everything into the show notes. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a good channel for me. Make yeah. sure that you're following Tim on there. He's great stuff uh, all the time. Uh, how do people find about about Neon One? How do they find out about all these cool things that you're producing out there that they can go and get for uh, for free and learn a little bit more about how you can help them uh, not worry about all this stuff? Yeah, neonone.com is the easiest place to go, but then we have a, a resources section. And so we have guides, we have uh, you know a video series that I've been planning, like explaining some of these things about the generosity experience, for instance. Um, uh, so, you know, you know, overhauling our YouTube is a vision that I have for 2023 because we're going to see more videos, but you got to have short form stuff, yeah. long form stuff, p- things that people can read. So we, we try to put together a, a lot of useful stuff. We have a lot of people who worked in the nonprofit sector uh, that that are at our company that uh, help produce these things. And then we also love talking with individual nonprofits, as well as a community that we have called the Connected Fundraising Community. That's We have about 400 people in a Slack. Uh, so I help oversee that uh, as well. So if you end up joining that, that's something that you know I can pop into for the show notes, if you will, Patrick. Well, of course, uh, definitely for the show. We'll put all of those in there. So immediately after yep. this, uh, you should go and click on all those things and sign up for all the uh, mailing lists. Because it sounds like, yeah. Well, and we're about to finish up some updates to our donor data impact hub too. So that's something that you made reference earlier in the call is we did a really big report on donor uh, behavior uh, earlier this year. And that's still definitely worth a download. But 
data changes. So we, instead of doing the, like the annual report, I said, why don't we just make it a thing on our website? And you don't have to enter an email to see it. You just can go. And so we're putting in some updates. The big report next though, Patrick, 2023 Mm -hmm. email campaigns. Going nuts on email, going as deep into email as possible. I am, I did ask, can you pull me a report on how many nonprofits put the word you into their copy? And then draw a direct line over to the fundraising piece. I, I can't wait. I'm uh, now. I'm waiting for this. So I'm glad. April I'm April 2023. The- I'm saying it. I'm saying it now. It's 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 going to come out. It's gospel. I love it. Uh, Tim, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. uh, thanks so much for thank your you for um, enthusiasm. Thanks so much for thinking differently about this stuff. Uh, I am. I'm just. I'm fascinated about the sector that gets in a rut. Uh, it's fascinating to find somebody who has. Uh, the same sort of like, let's think a little bit differently and let's disrupt in a way that doesn't burn the things down, but disrupts the way that people think about some of these things to pause and like, hey, I don't have to, you know, ride this and do this the entire time. I can think differently and more interesting and more uniquely and more magical. Give me the best. Uh, I hope everybody has a great time. Hey, if you haven't, uh, you know, taken a lead and, you know, sort of signed up and followed us here on the old podcast, you should. You should also like this podcast. And you should also uh, maybe leave a review. This is the type of guests we get here all the time. It's amazing. Um, hey, thanks for uh, stopping by. Click on the show notes. Uh, Tim, we'll talk to you soon. I, I have a feeling that you will be a uh, not a solo guest on this podcast. There's Love way it. too many things to uh, talk about. You're the absolute best. Thank uh, you, and Lord thanks you. for uh, thanks for stopping by here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Fundraising is hard. And as a listener to this podcast, I hope you found some insight, tips, and tricks on how to make it a little less challenging. But if you're looking for a lot more content, done-for-you templates, weekly support, and a community of other do-gooders like yourself to commiserate, challenge, co-create, or celebrate with, I want to invite you join do good university it's our brand new membership site we're going to have hours of on-demand trainings exclusive guest expert webinars and access to the do good better crew to answer all of your pressing questions all for an affordable monthly fee so visit dogooduniversity.com or click the link in the show notes 